You're listening to the Church on the Move Roswell podcast. We hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and challenges you to take your next step with Jesus. Thanks for listening. Let's check it out. Uh, let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I started a, a mini-series there for on Wednesday nights uh, talking about uh, a couple of things that, that God instructs us to do in, in this, in this uh, uh, chapter in how to not grieve the Holy Spirit, but celebrate the Holy Spirit. Amen? The Bible says you can grieve the Holy Spirit, and what that means is, is that when, when you grieve the Holy Spirit, you're, you're, you're distancing yourself from the, the Spirit of God, and he'll, he'll actually remove his presence from you. He'll actually begin to withdraw from you, just like in Revelations when it talks about the seven churches. Uh, you know, the Bible uh, teaches us in Revelations. It says, listen, if you don't repent and get this thing right, I'll take your lampstand away. Well, the lampstand is the, is the seven spirits of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit presents himself in seven ways, and that's the lampstand that, that the, the Bible's talking about, that, he, that God, if they don't repent, if these churches don't get some things right, that they'll remove the lampstand. And in January, I'm going to talk a lot more about the book of Revelations, the time we're living in, what's happening right now in America, what's happening right now in, as far as the Bible is concerned. I'm going to go deep into the teaching on that, and we're going to hopefully all learn together a bunch about the, the timeline we're living in right now. But what I don't want to be lost on you guys tonight is, is that this chapter, chapter 5 of Thessalonians, um, is about the end times. Uh, a lot of people miss that, but it's about the end times. And um, God's given some direct instructions to the church of Thessalonica to how to stay sharp, how to stay sharp and not miss out on what God is doing and what God is going to do. So how do I know that? Well, let's first read where we ended up last week, and that's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Starting in verse 16, he said, Let joy be your continual feast. This is the Passion Version. Make your life a prayer, and in the midst of everything, be always giving thanks, for this is God's perfect plan for you in Christ Jesus. A lot of people are like, I want to know God's plan for me. I want to know God's plan for me. Listen, when you learn to obey the word of God, then he'll show you other things. When you allow him to heal you from your past, he'll bring you into the present. That's, these are present things he wants you to be doing. Then he'll show you the future. But he has to, you have to first allow him to heal you from the past so he can bring you to the present so he can show you the future. And a lot of people hang on to their past, and so they're never living present. They're always living in some kind of past hurt or pain or situation, so they never really live in the present. And God's like, listen, I, let me heal your past. Let me, the Bible even says he'll deliver you from your past. <coughs> he'll heal it. If, it's, if there's brokenness, he'll deliver it. Deliver you from it if there's shame or guilt or sin or things in your past that you're, you know, ashamed of and you wish you'd have never done. He said, I'll deliver you from that. But he wants to get you into the present, and these are present things he's talking about. And when you start to learn to live in the present, then he can finally trust you to show you things that are coming in your life. This is God's perfect plan. Then he says this, verse 19, never restrain or put out the fire of the Holy Spirit. 
And I heard this taught many times. We talked about this last Wednesday. Uh, that I've heard this taught many times when it comes to churches. Ah, oh, they're 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 restraining the Holy Spirit. They're holding back the Holy Spirit, <coughs> and they'll apply it to churches. But this applies to this church. But Paul is speaking to individuals right here, not just to the whole church, because we can individually put the fire out of the Holy Spirit in our life. And he's encouraging us not to do that because when we look back here in just a moment, he's talking about the end times. He's telling them things and telling us things today to do, to be always prepared for what God is, is doing and about to do. Always being prepared. So this is part of the preparation process is doing those things that, that honors the Lord and honors God so that we're not putting the fire out of the Holy Spirit. We're stoking the fire of the Holy Spirit. We're, we're putting wood on it. We're pour, pouring gasoline on the fire of the Holy Spirit when we do these things. Then he said this, Excuse me, and don't be one who scorns prophecies. We know that's just teaching from the Bible. That's not like a prophetic word. That, that prophecy there is don't scorn when you're being taught the word. Do not, do not reject it and do not hate it. Many people hate the word of God because it confronts their lifestyle. And as soon as I got saved and God began to deal with my stuff, I didn't hate any of it. I'm like, okay, I get it. Drinking is not gonna, it's never taken me any place good. Matter of fact, a lot of very ugly things have happened when I was drunk. Getting high was not good. Sleeping around was not good. I was destroying other people's lives and destroying my life. I, you know, he just began to deal with me about all these habits I had and this thinking, this stinking thinking I had about life and about women and about this and that and just the negativity of my life. He began to deal with me and I didn't want to say, ah, oh, get out of my face, Lord. I didn't want to scorn the teaching. I welcomed it. When I heard about Jesus for the first time, that he loved me and he died for me, John 3, 17, that he didn't come to condemn me. When I heard that scripture, but he came to save me, I answered the altar call. That day, when I heard about tithing, I began to tithe. When I heard about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I'm like, I want me some of that. When I heard about the gifts of the Spirit, I said, God said to eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. Like, that word desire is not, not a soft word. It's like passionately desire for the Holy Spirit to move in you and through you. I mean, when I heard about love, I began to pray. You can ask my wife. I prayed for years. I had 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the, the description of love. I had it on my mirror at home. I had it on my car. I had it in my office. I had it everywhere I went. And I quoted that scripture all day long until I knew what God's love felt like, what God's love was, and that it manifested in me. I spoke the word over myself until I knew what that was because I didn't know what that was. When God dealt with me about, you know, this or that, I just begin to welcome those things, humble myself before him, say, God, I ask you to forgive me for the things I've been doing wrong and, and teach me, deliver me, set me free from this. But a lot of people scorn it when, they, when it gets personal. Listen, you can't hang around God and it not get personal. He's going to get into your sex life, your finances, how you treat your spouse, how you treat your kids, how you treat people at work. He talks about every aspect of life. It's very personal to him. It's so personal he came in the form of his son Jesus and was tortured to death. That's how personal it is to God. He died for our sins. 
And it wasn't just his physical death. That was the, really, that was the lesser part of it. It was the spiritual implications of him taking on our sin. And being separated from God, that's why he said on the cross, Abba, Abba, why have you forsaken me? Why have you pulled away from me? Why? Because he had to experience separation from God for us. He took our, that's when he took our sins on right there. Because our sins demanded that we be separated from God. I mean, that's how personal it is to God that he would do that personally for you and me. And so it's going to be personal. He want, it's a relationship. And it's not a, he doesn't want it to be a casual one. He doesn't want it to be casual. He doesn't want it to be flippant. He doesn't want it to, you know, be something we do occasionally. He wants it something that, that it's every day and that it's our deepest relationship that we have. And he said, man, if you'll put my kingdom first and my relationship with you first, I'll begin to add things to your life that you're going to really like. You know, I learned, I learned over time how to keep him first and not have idols. I learned that I couldn't put Julie first. I learned that, and she learned she couldn't put me first. We had to put God first to have a successful marriage. And when we did that, our marriage took off. I learned that I couldn't put my kids first. You know, you hear people all the time, I'm living for my children. Gosh, that's, a, oh, that's, gonna, that's gonna end really ugly for you. They might salute you and you might be the martyr mama and they might just, oh, mama's so great. All she does is serve us and she's the martyr of the family. But I'm telling you, in the end, it won't go well for you. You'll be highly disappointed because children are great to have just like a wife or a husband's great to have, but they cannot be God. You can't make America God. That was one of the idols I grew up with. Probably my greatest idol was America, the United States of America. You can't make America your idol. America didn't make God great. I say it all the time. God gave me this word years ago. He said, America didn't make me great, Troy. I made America great. He said, it's the exact opposite. And he corrected my heart. And he'll, he'll, he'll have you lay down idols. And, put, and he'll teach you how to put him first. And when you do that, man, he said, I'm going to open up some things to you. I'm going to begin to add stuff to your life. Oh, and you're going to like it. I'm going to add what a successful marriage and family and children and this looks like. You guys okay? God, just quiet on me twice. And it's like, what's going on? Did I, is my zipper unzipped or am I, is something up? My shoe untied? People get caught up in all kinds of but he said, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. He said, and don't be one who scorns prophecy, but be faithful. Everybody say faithful. To examine them by putting them to the test and afterward, afterward hold tightly to what is proven to be right. Avoid every appearance of evil. He's saying, listen, you know, let's, let's do these things. Let's rejoice and have joy. Let's pray. Let's be thankful all the time. He said, continually, that should be our continual attitude. Then he says, hey, let's, when you hear the word and I speak to you through a song or through a minister or through a friend or a family member, and I'm speaking, you know, it's me talking to you. Receive that with joy. And then always, always measure everything you hear not based on the person, but based on the word. I always tell you, study it for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Take God's word for it. 
Always have 20-20 vision. 20 scriptures above, 20 scriptures below. Take it in context. Read it out for yourself. Hey, amen? And so when you receive the word, he's saying when you receive it, then judge it based on what the Bible says, on what someone's preaching. Judge it based on what the word of God says. That way you'll never be fooled or never deceived, and you'll never grieve the Holy Spirit. And when you decide, hey, this is right, then you do what is right, and you avoid what is evil. He's saying this is how you keep your axe sharpened. He said this is how you stay sharp, and there's a reason why. Now let's go back a little bit. Let's go. Back to uh, verse 1 in this chapter, chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians. He said, Now, my beloved brothers and sisters, concerning the question of God's precise times and specific seasons, you don't need me to write anything to you. Verse 2, For you already know quite well that the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly, unexpectedly and as a complete surprise. For while some of you are saying, finally we have peace and security, sudden destruction will arrive at their doorstep, like labor pain seizing a pregnant woman and with no chance of escape. And the reason he compares it to a pregnant woman, and this is not the first time that that has happened, that God's word compares things that are about to happen to a pregnant woman. Why? Because uh, uh, when, when, you're gonna, when you go into labor, there's two things going to happen. One, they're going to be a little pain. Now, I've never experienced it directly, but indirectly, I've experienced some pain of labor. How did I indirectly experience it? Well, my wife has squeezed my hand, and she gave me the stank eye a couple times pretty bad. <laughs> I'm like, man, that must really hurt because that, that's an awful mean look. But, uh, but, you know, I know there's going to be pain. And then the other thing is, it's inevitable that you're going to have that baby. That's what it means there's no escape. Once that starts, it's coming. I remember, I can't remember which child. I always confuse it because we have five, you know, six kids. But in one of those, she, she looked at the doctor very sweetly. I mean, and we, we started laughing because it was so sweet. She said it. She laid her head down right in the middle of, you know, pushing this baby out and said, um, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm not going to do that anymore. <laughs> just as sweet as can be. And the doctor looked at me, and I looked at the doctor, and we just kind of doubled, did a double take, and then we just started laughing. She did not like that at all. I'm like, baby, you don't have a choice. And I took her by the chin, and I, I said, put your chin down and push. And I pushed her chin down, and she grabbed my hand. That's when I experienced pain of labor. She grabbed my hand, and she pulled my hand off her, off of her, and she looked at me and said, never, ever do that again. <laughs> I'm like, yes, ma'am. But we're like, you don't have a choice. It, that baby's coming out, and it was too late for, she never had an epidural with those five. It's too late, baby. Even if you wanted one, it's, it's already happening. It was inevitable. And that's what God's saying here. Listen, my coming is inevitable. It's coming, and just like, you know, you can't, you can't predict when those labor pains are going to start. They start happening to you. That, that's what he's talking about. There's going to be labor pains, and then the inevitable's happening, and there's no escape. I mean, I don't know what she wanted us to do. 
<laughs> we were just like, this is happening. And that's what God is saying. This is happening. There's no escape from it. When it happens, it's going to happen. It's, it's inevitable. It's going to take place, and there's no escape. And he's saying, you know. He's telling the church of Thessalonica and the people individually, I taught you this. I taught you this was going to happen, and I taught you that you'll never know. That, that you'll never know the exact day or the exact hour. That's not how it's going to happen. It's just not going to come like that. And then he says this, but you, beloved brothers and sisters, I, I love this chapter. Paul says, dear brothers and sisters, several times. Dear brothers and sisters. I'm saying this to you. Dear brothers and sisters, you need to always be prepared. So when he's talking about not grieving the Holy Spirit at the end of this chapter, he's talking about keeping your axe sharpened, that you're always prepared. You know, I don't know if we were really prepared for the first child that came. I mean, with your first child, you, you sanitize everything. You, I mean, we decorated the room. I mean, we, by the, the, the fifth one came, they didn't have a theme. It was just, this is your bed. Be quiet. Go to sleep. <laughs> that floor's dirty. Who cares? Just let them crawl around as long as they're not, as long as they're not keeping us up or you know, keeping us awake, we're good, just do your thing. They're chewing on a dog toy, who cares? <laughs> First one is, is, you know, you feel like you're always in, you know, surgical, you know, you're washing your hands, you, you, you know, you say everything's got to be perfect, and, you know, but we, we did all we could to prepare, and I don't know how Julie prepared mentally. We took Lamaze classes pretty seriously, and we used that technique for the first, all five children, and I'm going to tell you, it really works. And I was an expert at the hee-hee-hoo-hoos. You know, I could breathe, man. I was the breathing coach. I played my role. She was the quarterback in the center all at once. And I was the coach. I was coaching offense and defense. Mainly the defense was defending myself. <laughs> the offense was trying to get it over with so she'd be nice to me again. No, she was, she was pretty nice most of the time. And, uh, but, but, you know, at, 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 you know, at a certain level that we, we kept being more and more prepared. We didn't freak out every time something happened after your first one, you kind of learn the second one, you know, first one's a guinea pig. And that's why the first children are a little different, but, uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> they have, they're usually more responsible because they've been experimented on for their whole life. Uh, and then the second one, the third one, you know, you just kind of, and then by the, you know, by that time, we're, we're really prepared. On the fifth one with Tuck, I think you were like a six or seven before we even went to the hospital. I mean, she got a little cramp in her side. We ran the first time, you know, just any, oh, we had to go. You know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to play catcher. Hey, batter, batter, hey, throw it in. I didn't want to catch any babies, you know, and so I didn't want to do that, so Man, we were that first one, man. I was like, do we need to go? Do we need to go? Let's go. I'm not having this baby in the house or in the car. And so, but, you know, that, the fifth one, I'm like, babe, what, what's up? She's like, I don't know. <laughs> you know. I think, I, did, didn't Tucker come out about an hour? I think by the time we got to the hospital, it was quick, man, because she was already at a seven or eight or something. I mean, we took her time. 
drove in. You know, we were, we were so prepared mentally, and, and we, we realized what was happening and how to handle that. I was an expert umbilical cord cutter. I'm really good at that. The first time I, I was a little iffy, it's real, I, you know, I thought it was going to be real fleshy, you know, kind of just real easy, just snip it, you know, and I'm cutting, I'm like, man, this thing's like a cable. <laughs> if you've never cut an umbilical cord, it's like a cable. I kid you not. I'm like, God, Lee, sharpen these scissors, doc. <laughs> After the first one, I'm like, I was ready. I'd Grab that thing and cut it, man. Next four, I was a, by the fifth one, I was just like, throw me the scissors. Caught them in midair and just clipped it and threw them back to the nurse. And... <sighs> I had a, they kept, they did that. They applauded me. They, uh, they gave me a certificate that said you are an expert umbilical cord cutter and I'm like, yeah. I did my part. But we were prepared. And that's what God's trying to teach his people then and now. Be prepared. Don't be a novice. Don't be a beginner. Constantly becoming, being, preparing. Constantly preparing for what is coming. What is now and what is coming in the future. He says this, but you, beloved brothers and sisters, verse 4, are not living in the dark, allowing that day to creep up on you like a thief coming to steal. You know, it had been really freaky, and I know this has happened, and I, I don't know how this has happened to some people, but, you know, there's been women that have been taken to the ER in great pain, and they have a baby. And they claim they didn't even know they were pregnant. Right? We've read stories. Everybody's like, whoa, you're not, it's not appendicitis. You got a baby. Uh, and they don't even know. They act like they didn't ever know. No one knew. No one saw. Even the person didn't realize it. Maybe they, you know, their, their cycle was always messed up, so they didn't think any big deal about any of it in their body. And then they had a baby just pop out. Guys, listen, Julie and I, we knew when she was pregnant. I could see that she was pregnant. We, we knew that we were going to have a baby. Why? Because we weren't living in the dark. God's like, if you know, I'm putting my word out here to you, and I'm showing you at the end of this chapter how not to live in the dark so that you always kind of have an idea something's happening. We weren't in shock when the baby came. We are like, oh, my gosh, number five just showed up. No, we, we knew one, two, three, four, five. We even, when we adopted Jalen, we knew that too. We knew that too. We could see her biological mother was pregnant. <laughs> it was pretty obvious. We saw the, the stuff, you know, the sonogram of her, you know, having a baby girl. And I mean, we knew we were prepared for her, for all of our kids. We were very, as prepared as you can be, we were prepared. Why? Because we knew. 
God's saying right here, listen, if you'll do the things at the end of this chapter and not grieve the Holy Spirit, but welcome and stoke the fire of the Holy Spirit in your life, you won't be unprepared. You won't know the exact time. You know, you won't know the exact hour, but you'll know that it's that the world is pregnant. You'll know that it's coming. You'll you'll have a good idea that this is this is the ninth month. This is this is really close. Eight months, seven months. He said, You'll be prepared for whatever God is doing. He's going to do new things he does every year. But, man, if you're not doing the things he says at the end of this chapter, you will not be prepared for what he's going to do. And you know what God said? I'm doing a new thing. Can you perceive it? Otherwise, do you even recognize I'm doing that? So many people miss out. I don't want any of you to miss out. No one here, no one watching watching online. I don't want anybody to miss out on what God wants to do in your life. I don't want you to miss out but you can miss out. I don't know how much of a warning God can give you. He's saying if you don't do these things, you're gonna grieve the Holy Spirit and you're gonna miss out on what he's doing, not just at the end times, but in the now time. In your life right now, in this year, in the next year, you can miss it. He doesn't, you know God never wants us to miss it. So he makes it plain. He writes it down and makes it very plain. Here's how you don't miss it. Here's how you live in my perfect will. Here's how you live in my perfect will. Here's how you honor me. Here's how you, here's how you live in the presence of the Holy Spirit so that you're not blindsided like you were, you know, like you're walking in darkness. He said, you're not those children that walk in darkness. He said this, um, we're not living in darkness, allowing that day to creep up on you like a thief coming to steal, for you are all children of the light and children of the day. We don't belong to the night nor the, to darkness. This is why we must not fall asleep as the rest do, but keep wide awake and clear-headed. Now, we're not, we know he's not talking about never, ever sleeping. This is a spiritual thing. He's saying you can't fall asleep spiritually. You know, ever since COVID, guys, most churches, including our own, is not completely recovered. Why? Because during COVID, people were lulled to sleep. And they, they quit coming to church. They, they, and once, once that starts happening, I, I run into people all the time, you know, and they almost say it's like it's a noble thing. They say, well, pastor, I've just been working. Man, guys, listen, don't let the cares of this world rob you of what you should be doing. He tells us, he commands us, be in church, gather together in church, hear the word, serve, serve each other. He's constantly telling us how to do this and what to do. And, and, and church, is a, church is the bride of Christ. You're, you're a part of the church, but you're not the church. We're all the church, but you, people act like, well, I'm, I can just be home doing my own thing, reading my Bible, praying. I'm, I'm the church. No, you're not. You're not the church. You're, you're a block. You're a brick in the church. It's like I'm a brick. We're living stones. I'm just one brick. I don't make up the whole church. And you can't on your own. Matter of fact, God constantly warns about being a lone wolf. He constantly warns about, hey, you keep separating yourself like that, Satan's gonna tear you up. But I see people falling asleep, so then they quit coming to church, and then what I know next happens, they don't, they're not reading their word regularly. They're not hearing the word. They're not studying the word. They're not even, pray, even prayer descends into a, 
uh, an emotional bail me out kind of thing after a while. And just from one crisis to another crisis, prayer. It's not consistent. It's not about getting to know God. It's about God constantly bailing us out. It's using God, not wanting to know God. God won't be used. Don't fall for this trap and fall asleep spiritually. He's warning us. He's saying, you can fall asleep spiritually, and you once who walked in the light can go back to the darkness if you want to and walk in the night where you can't see. He wants us, we're the children of light and the children of the day. That's why there's no, no sun in heaven because he's the God of light. You know, there's no darkness in heaven. It's never nighttime. Never. Never. And I know it's got to be 80 degrees. And along the river of life, has got to be some great beaches. In my hammock, that'll be, man, if God just gives me, I don't need a palace, just give me a hammock. Right on the beach of the river of life. And I'll be, I'll be cool, man. I'll be surfing. I'll do whatever. I mean, that would, that would just, I would be perfectly happy with that. I would. But, you know, guys, it, there's, he wants us to walk in the light of what? Of what is happening, the light of his word. He says, this time, he said, this is my perfect will for you at the end of this chapter. But in Romans, he says, to know his perfect will, you have to do what? Renew your mind with the word. Then he said, you'll know the perfect will. What is the word? It's the light. It's a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. He's saying, listen, when you walk in my word, you're walking in my will, you're walking in the light, you'll not only be able to put the past behind you, you'll be, you'll be able to see what's happening right now, and I'll, I'll light up your world. I'll light up, and you'll be able to see what's coming too. He says it over and over and over again. And he won't tell you everything that's coming because we'll mess it up. You know, you, watch, you ever watch those movies about time travel? Yeah, what do they do? They mess it up. Why? Because they know stuff. Whether they go backwards or forwards, they mess everything up. So God's never going to tell us everything because we can mess it up because we're still human beings. But he'll tell you enough to keep you encouraged. He'll tell you, excuse me, he'll tell you enough to keep you moving forward and he'll tell you enough that you don't miss opportunities if you'll do what he says to do. He says this, this is why we must not fall asleep as the rest do, but keep wide awake and clear-headed. Another word he uses here is sober. Now, a lot of people take this as, as being sober is always being serious. And for the longest time, when you watch old movies, man, the church people, the, the ministers, the priests, and the church people are always real serious. I mean, if they smiled, their face would crack. Listen, that's not what he means here. Sober doesn't mean you can't laugh or tell a joke or have some fun. That's not what he's talking about. Sobriety in the Bible, anytime you see this word, and it's mentioned often, is that you know what is valuable. A sober person knows what the value of life and the value of things and doesn't overvalue the things of the world and doesn't undervalue the things of God. That's what he means by being sober. You know the value of things. I watch a lot of these, um, like, uh, Pawn Stars and these deals with a, where they buy storage lockers, and I watch um, 
uh, American pickers, and I like this stuff, man. I've always been kind of a treasure hunter. Even as a little kid, I was always collecting rocks or something. I'm like, yeah, that looks like gold, you know. I was always thinking something was valuable. But, and I collected coins and different things as a child. But, I'm, so I'm always interested in the value of things. And it always amazes me. Some old stuff isn't valuable at all, just old. You know, these people show up, you know, they go, oh, yeah, my grandma gave it, my great-grandma gave it to my grandma, and my dad gave it to me. Woo, tell me, tell me. And they'll go, well, I've got good news and bad news. That's always a bad start on those shows. Good news is, this is pretty cool. It's, it's pretty old, you know. Bad news is, it, 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 it's not worth anything, really. It's worth something to you. I always, oh, I hate, I'm like, my heart hurts for those people because they, they come in with such expectation, like this is going to be worth like $50,000. And it's just not. It's just not. Matter of fact, most of the time, that's what they hear. Or they might say, hey, uh, you know, they'll come in and the pawn stars, they'll say, how much you want for it? $5,000. Well, let me have an expert look at it. Their expert comes in, and I always be careful when someone has their expert. Make sure you have your expert, too. But anyway, and so they'll come in and say, man, I'll, I'll give you 20 bucks for it after the expert looks at it. And I'm always like, oh, man, that hurts my heart for those people because they thought they were going to get five grand, you know, and it's worth $20. A lot of times they don't sell it, which is smart. Just keep it in your family. It's something the family values. But, but you got to know the value of stuff. Those people know the value of stuff, the, the people who are, you know, deciding the values and paying for stuff and selling stuff. They know the value, so most of the time they don't get ripped off, right? God wants us to be sober. He wants us to know the value of the things in our life. I value work, but I would never value it to the point that I'd miss church on a regular basis. Never, never. I'd be looking for another job like that. If he kept me out of church and kept me too far away from my family, I understand a man. I worked two jobs for 15 years. I did. I was gone a lot. But, man, I didn't miss church. I'd go to church, serve, go to church, hear the word, and then I would run Julie home and the kids. I'd change clothes in my car to go to my second job on Sunday evening. I did that a lot. Thank God that people didn't pay attention. Because I, I was taking, changing all my clothes in the car. Shoes, socks, everything. Pants, shirt. And so, but, you know, uh, uh, you know that's what I'm, you know, we, I wanted to provide. I wanted to provide as much as I could for Julie and my kids. I had an obligation to do that and a responsibility. But the number one thing I wanted to provide was a great spiritual life. Because I understood that work and money does not, is not more valuable than the things of God. They are not more valuable than the things of God. And so God is teaching. This is deep stuff and cool stuff. He said, for those who are asleep, uh, those who are asleep, sleep the night away. Drunkards get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, we must stay alert and clear-headed by placing the breastplate of faith and love over our hearts and the helmet of the hope of salvation over our thoughts. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to possess salvation through our Lord Jesus, the anointed one. You notice he uses the word possess. That means you gotta, you gotta grab a hold of it and hang on to it. You gotta possess it. 
You got to, man, you grab a hold of that. Say, God, thank you for this gift. I'm not letting it go. I'm possessing this. Man, you better, you try to take this from me, you better get out of my way. I'm not losing my salvation. I've said that many times, man, when the Satan's tempted me to walk in unforgiveness. I'm like, devil, you, you're silly. I'm not losing my salvation over someone else, what they caused hurt in my life. There's no way I'm losing my salvation over that. I'll, I forgive them now in Jesus' name. And I'll walk that out. I'll forgive them. If I have to say that 50 times, I guarantee you, I'm not losing my salvation over unforgiveness. I'm not losing my salvation over someone else's sin or someone else's problem or someone else's issue. I'm not losing it. I'm not losing I possess it. God gave it to me as a gift, and I'm not letting that gift go no matter what. And that's what he's talking about right here. He said he gave his life for us that we may share in resurrection life in union with him, whether we're awake or asleep. Because of this, encourage the hearts of your fellow believers and support one another just as you have already been doing. The Bible says, as you see the day approaching, the coming of the Lord, which we see coming closer and closer and closer to us, he said, uh, gather all the more. Gather more, not less. I think it's really interesting that for two years, so a lot of churches didn't even meet. And then uh, they began to cancel all their midweek services. They're gathering less, not more. We need to be gathering more, not less. The exact opposite. But... You have to, this is a process. You have to know, you have to be sober-minded when it comes to the things of God and know what you value. Listen, I, you know, I've said this a bunch of times. When, it, when, you're first, when your children are born, you want them to be Albert Einstein, Michael Jordan, and Babe Ruth, man. You want them to be everything, and you want them to be smart and brilliant and funny as the best comedian and the life of the party and yet, you know, smart and disciplined. You, you have all these, these attributes you want them to have that you don't even have. But you want the best for them and you want to see that in them and you want them to have all these attributes. But in the end, uh, through life experience, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you right here. Through life experience, what I've learned is I'd rather have a saved Save child that knows Jesus, that loves the Lord and going to heaven. And I don't really care what they do for, the living, for a living, as long as it's honorable. As long as it's an honorable living. As long as it's honorable. I used to say, man, I don't care if they dig ditches because, you know, Charlie and I were just talking, you know, he has a dump truck now. And, you know, used to, you just had a shovel. You know, someone's talking about digging a ditch. They didn't show up with a backhoe. You showed up with a shovel. And so, and you didn't have a dump truck, you were the dump truck. You, got in the, you put the stuff in the back of the truck, and then you dumped it out of the truck with that same shovel. And so, I used to say, but I don't care. I think that's an honorable job. I think that's honorable labor. And as long as they love Jesus, and I know that when I die, I leave them the inheritance of the Lord, of the Lord, of his salvation, his love, his, his, his integrity. I want to leave them Jesus. Everything else, anything else is extra, but I want to leave them Jesus. That's what we should all, again, that's being sober enough to know what you value. And so I want to leave them hard work. I want them to know that you have a responsibility to provide for your family. I want them to be those kind of stand-up men, and I want my daughter to be a stand-up woman. But I tell you this, more than any of it, I want them to love Jesus and go to heaven so that I know when I pass away, I'm going to see them again. And they know when I pass away, they're going to see me again. 
because that's the most important thing. It's one thing to clap and experience that, and I'm glad you do, and you celebrate it, because we should celebrate it big time. It's another thing to live it. Live what we really value. And he's saying right here, man, you need to value your relationship with God above everything else, above all things. He says this again. Dear brothers and sisters, I love it, man, how God writes to us, man. Dear brothers and sisters, dear. He, and he doesn't mean like dear, like we put on a heading of a letter. We say dear sir, or dear so-and-so. We don't mean it dearly. That's just a thing we say, right? But he means it like you're dear to me. You're, you're, the, you're the most dear thing to me. We're the most dear thing God has. He says, we're the apple of his eye. He didn't die for the angels. He died for us. That's why the angels are enamored by, they're, they're, they're like, wow, this is incredible what's happened with these people and God. And it's incredible. They, they, don't, they don't even get it completely. How God loves us. Dear brothers and sisters, make sure that you show your deep appreciation for those who cherish you and diligently work as ministers among you. We won't go too deep into that. That's something you gotta learn to value, those who speak into your life spiritually. Most people want a friendship, you know. I've never wanted a great friendship with the people that minister to me. If I had it, I had it. If I didn't, I didn't. But what I wanted was the gift that they had. I wanted... I wanted the gift of teaching the word and the ministry they have spoken into my life, into my family's life. That's, that's the thing I cherish. Those are the things I cherish. We'll, we'll stop right there and pick up next week. We're going to finish this chapter. We're going to talk about what, how to feast on joy next week. How you feast on joy. Do you know the Bible never said, I groan, and again I say groan? But it does say, I rejoice, and again I say, I rejoice. We're to be a joyful people. I said, we're to be a joyful people. Because we know we're, we're going to heaven. There should be a joy about us. No matter what else happens in this life, we know we're going to heaven. There should be a joy about us about that. Listen, every eye closed in here and I just we close our eyes not for any religious purposes just to give you a chance to remove all the distractions around you and not focus on people moving around or things happening. People need to get they're they're going to minister and do things. But you might be watching online or you might be sitting in here right now and you're hearing this and you're like, wow. Man, I'm, I'm walking in darkness. I'm, I'm asleep. I don't have a passion for the things of God. You might be asking the same question I ask. How do I get that? You get that by accepting the gift that Jesus came to give you and that's his lordship his leadership. And with that gift comes his forgiveness. 
comes eternal life in heaven forever. He delivers us from destruction, from hell. And with that forgiveness, not only comes eternal life, which is the greatest gift. Oh, man, it's the best gift. Knowing that when I die, I go from life to a better life. But he also gives you a life right here and right now that's not trouble-free. Doesn't mean there's not going to be any issues. Matter of fact, Jesus said there are going to be issues. He said, but be of good cheer. Otherwise, be joyful even in the midst of it. He didn't say to be thankful or joyful for it. He said, be joyful and thankful in it because you know he's with you. And that he can turn around what was meant for evil for good if we're letting him. If we're letting him. He wants to change your life now and forever. He wants to give you a life worth living and worth giving away to those around you. I didn't have that for the first 18 years of my life. I, I didn't have a life like that. What I gave was not good. Wow, it wasn't good at all. Then I met Jesus. He gave me this incredible gift of knowing him. He gave me this gift of building a bridge between me and God that I can cross over now anytime I want to. Because of his forgiveness and his, his holiness made me holy. His righteousness makes me righteous and you righteous. Right in God's eyes. Listen, if you've never prayed, you've never prayed and said, Jesus, you are the, you're the Lord of my life. I believe in you. I ask you to forgive me. You've never prayed those things and you want to pray and get right with God? You want to possess the salvation and the mercy and grace of the Holy Spirit living inside of you? The presence of God in your life? No matter what has happened, it's available to you right now. It's a prayer away from your heart and your mouth to God's ears and His heart. It's a prayer away. He's right here, right now, waiting on you. Maybe it's not the first time, maybe you've fallen asleep. Maybe you've stopped doing this, that, and another thing. Maybe the fire's gone out. Maybe you've gone back into the world and, man, you grieved the Holy Spirit. And you can sense His presence. is He's there, but it's just not the same relationship. You've grieved Him, and you know it. I've got good news for you. Whether it's your first time or next time, God loves you. And he said, whether it's your first time or next time, he said this, all heaven rejoices over those two things. Over those two things, all heaven rejoices. The first time someone prays and when someone comes home. Wow. There'll be great joy in heaven over you. He won't reject you. He'll forgive you. He'll restore you if you really mean it, you really want it. He'll save you for the first time if you mean it. 
And so online, I'm going to ask you to do something. If you want to pray, whether the first time or the next time, I'm going to ask you to send us a message right now saying, I'm praying for the next time or praying for the first time. And it doesn't matter whether it's live right now or a week from now you're watching this. God is still speaking to you. Send us the message right now. In this room, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and say, it's me. I'm going to get right with God tonight. This is this is. This was meant for me. This message was for me. And you know it. God's reaching out to you. He loves you. He loves you. So on three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand up high to put it down quickly. There's no strings attached to that at all. We're going to pray right where you're seated. We're going to pray right where you are online, wherever you're at. So here we go. Online, send that message to us right now. Here in this room, one, two, three. Raise your hand up and say, it's me. I'm going to get right with God tonight. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Wow, all over the room. God bless you. Thank you so much. Wow, what a blessing that is to me. To all those in the room, we need you and you need us. Most of all, we all need God. So let's all pray together online in here. Let's all pray this together. Say, God. I believe you are God and God alone. And because you love us, you created us, you sent Jesus to die for our sins, to do something for us, for me, that I couldn't do myself. Thank you for that. And you raised Jesus from the dead, and he's alive. I believe it, and because I do, I ask that you forgive me of all my sins. Deliver me and heal me from my past. Teach me how to live in the present and see the future. Thank you for your forgiveness. I receive it right now. A full pardon. I say to you, Jesus, you are the Lord, Jesus Christ, of my life. I receive your Holy Spirit, and I submit to your Lordship. Teach me how to live a full life in this life, serving you until I see you in heaven forever. Thank you. For saving my life. In Jesus' name, so be it. Amen. Come on. Let's celebrate the goodness of God. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to find out more about Church on the Move, like our service times, or how you can connect with us, you can visit cotmroswell.com.